Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Uh, welcome once again to Crosspoint. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. My name is Kyle. I am one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to get to do that before you head out this morning. Uh, we are in, uh, I think it's week three of this series that we started at the beginning of the calendar year called Close and Faithful. The idea behind this, in case maybe you haven't been with us, is uh, we really feel very, very confident that the the road forward that Jesus is calling us to as a church, and really, I think, just as followers of Jesus, period, is what he is looking for in his followers is people who are intense, passionate about getting as close to him as we can get and being as faithful as we can be to what he has called us to do. I know that that seems maybe a little simplistic, but it's certainly something I think that all of us have struggled with at times. And maybe that hasn't necessarily been the reputation of the church leading up to this point. But uh, we feel so, so confident that this is the road that Jesus has for us. And so how do we do that? How do we get close to and how do we remain faithful to Jesus? Luckily, gratefully rather, uh, Jesus lays that out for us. He tells us of some practices that will keep us close to him and will uh, help us be faithful to him. He lays those out mostly in Matthew chapter five. And so we're gonna be looking at those throughout the course of this series. These are practices that we can put in our life, some things that we can understand more clearly and put into practice that will help us get close to and stay faithful to Jesus. And uh, the, the first one that we wanted to spend some time talking about both last week and today is this understanding and love for scripture. Um, God has given us so much about who he is and about how his kingdom works and about what he has called us to do in our life through his written word. And we need to take the time to understand it Uh, hold it in a high regard and put it into practice in our life. And last week, Travis kind of started this conversation. He did a stellar job in a way only Travis could do. I don't know if you guys knew this. So uh, there was a slight chance if if Travis ended up getting sick last Sunday that I was going to have to come do his message. And he gave me his notes and I was like, this is not going to go. This this thing is like tailor-made for Travis Edgerton. I just cannot imagine anyone but him doing it. So I'm really grateful that he did. And if you missed it, you should definitely go listen to it. It was really helpful. And what it took, what one of the big points that he spent time talking through was that we need a high view of scripture, Um, not just in an intellectual or academic sense, but we need to understand how powerful the written word of God is and look at it clearly. Um, Make sure that when we read it, we're reading it correctly and we're letting it change who we are. But I also think uh, that we can't just have a high appreciation for God's word. We also have to have like a cherished love for God's word. If it's actually gonna change us, if we're actually gonna put it into practice in our life, we need to understand it. We also need to have a love for it. And that's kind of what we're gonna turn the conversation to today. It's kind of part two. Uh, If last week was understanding God's word, I would say this week is learning how to, to cherish and really grow in our love for God's word. And it as we, were, as we spent time talking about how this was going to be split out, we kind of came down to a, a title, a phrase, an umbrella statement over everything else that we're going to talk about today. And it's that we need to cultivate uh, meditation on God's word. 
We need to put the practice of meditation into our life and our experience and interaction with Scripture. Now, here's the deal, though. We need to do some, some uh, defining, some clarification here, right? Because while if we look into Scripture, there is many, many mentions and actually commands of God telling his people, I want you to meditate on my word. There's well over 20 different uh, straight-up commands that say, I want you to meditate on my word, depending on your translation. There's countless more allusions to uh, meditating on God's word, even though it doesn't use the actual word. It's in there a ton, but it also, in our context, tends to be something we kind of just blow past. I think the reason is because that word in our English language, in our modern headspace, uh, carries a lot of baggage, right? Because when I said the word meditation, most likely every single person in the room, your mind jumped to like the Eastern version of meditation, right? Is that fair to say? The majority of us, that's where our mind jumped. And so that could be anywhere between as, as innocent as like man buns and avocado toast and like yoga mats, right? It could be as innocent as that, all the way to like, I grew up in the 80s and I read lots of books about how meditation is like the gateway for demons to come into your life and take you over, right? There's like, those are the extremes and there's a spectrum in between. And while probably all of those are true in some capacity in some parts of the world, what we need to understand is that what we're gonna be talking about today is not an Eastern version of meditation that we just cram into a church context. It's something completely different, incredibly valuable, necessary even, I would say. But it's not the same thing that we might be thinking about. So if you're about ready to throw a fit because you thought we were gonna start chanting or if you were gonna run out to your car and grab your yoga mat, we're not doing either of those today, okay? We're gonna do something entirely different because... By very definition, these two versions of meditation are not, are not the same because Eastern meditation, its entire goal is to empty yourself. That's the whole goal of like Eastern meditation. Calm yourself down, empty your mind of thoughts, empty your mind of distractions, and just be. Let the universe fill whatever it wants to, right? That's not at all what we find when we read commands in Scripture about meditating on God's Word. Biblical meditation is all about filling our minds, not emptying them. It's about filling our minds with God's thoughts and his values and his way and his promises. And it's something that he says that we should do a lot. We're gonna find uh, today, it's even actually woven into the fabric of how things were written at the time that scripture was written and in how the Bible itself was written. So we need to understand that before we even start to apply some of these truths into our lives. And some of this Travis went over last week, so if it's a repeat, I apologize, but I think it's always good to keep reminding ourselves. We have to remember that what we have in front of us as the Bible, the paper or digital Bible that you have, it was not written by a middle-class American person with middle-class American people in mind. It just wasn't. It wasn't written by middle-class Americans with middle class Americans in mind. It wasn't written in 2022. Instead, it was written by a Middle Eastern ancient people group. So of course, it's written from that context. When we open the Bible, we have to understand this was written to a specific type of people at a specific time in a specific culture. Now, can the Holy Spirit cover over cultural differences and misunderstandings? To make the story of, of Scripture clear, yes, of course, absolutely. We've seen him do that over and over and over again. And honestly, it's just like incredibly beautiful when he does that. But 
I feel like we have been coasting on that uh, truth for like far too long as people who have access to a lot of information. I kind of I feel like those of us who live here and now in the time and the place in which we live, we don't really get a pass on that because we have more resource available to us than we ever have before. There is so much potential for us to understand, to study, to learn more about scripture and we need to take the time We need to do the work. And as we do that, I think we will understand his word more fully. We have supercomputers in our hands with countless websites and reputable people working on making the Bible more understandable and easier to interact with. We don't have much of an excuse anymore, especially those of us who have access to that information. So when we are willing to do the work, when we are willing to put in the time, When we do that, what we find is that the Bible is written as something called meditation literature. That's how scripture was written, okay? It was written as meditation literature, and it's best experienced through exactly that meditation. We'll get into what that actually means. Reality is, when we look at the Bible, there's tons of different kinds of writing styles. There's narrative, there's prose, there's poetry, there's history, all these different forms of writing. But the whole thing, the entirety of the story is written in a style called meditative literature. And it's really interesting because this type of literature, on purpose, they leave out some kinds of, some details. Uh, We see that it has a lot of patterns and a lot of through lines. The things that it does include that are detailed are really, really important and are meant to draw our attention to them. And it does all this because it's the style of writing that is meant to draw the reader in further and further, more frequently and more frequently, than just a simple information transfer. It really makes us as the reader have to think about it and interact with it, not just read it. This kind of writing is meant to be something that we read and reread and talk with others about and think about often, really all the time until we die. Simple, right? That's, that's supposed to be our relationship with scripture is to read and reread and talk about it and think about it and sit in it and wrestle with it and even question it until we die. It's not something that we can cram once into our brains to pass some kind of test and then purge out of our minds like so many of us have done in school settings, right? It's meant to completely saturate our mind and thoughts as we continue over and over and over again to interact with it. And this would make total sense to a Jewish culture, the the people that these writings were originally written to. And they took it really, really seriously. Like the word meditate, like in the Hebrew, like it means to to mutter. Like that's the picture that it's meant to portray is that, that we are walking around throughout our day muttering the words of God, muttering scripture. And I know that sounds kind of crazy to us, but, uh, that is the picture that's meant to be portrayed. And it's, and it's a picture that I know I can identify with. I don't know if any of the rest of you do this. Maybe I'm totally by myself and you can totally dismiss me if this is the case, but I'm kind of a verbal processor. And so if I need to know how a conversation is gonna go or maybe I'm preparing for a message or something, I find myself doing exactly that. I am like pacing back and forth in my house, kind of muttering under my breath, practicing or trying to think of the best way to say it or trying to gain better understanding. And my kids notice it all the time. They're like, dad, are you saying this? Oh, you're talking to yourself again. And I was like, well, you don't have to say it like that. I'm just, I'm trying to process. That is kind of the picture that 
we are meant to embrace when it comes to our relationship with Scripture. It's something that's on our lips, that's in our brain, that's going through uh, our, our processing all the time. In Jewish culture, they even went so far as to write the words of Scripture on their hands and on their foreheads as this constant reminder. It never really departed from how they were thinking and how they were interacting with each other. And the reality is we could spend a lot longer on all the, like a lot longer, on all the inner workings of this kind of writing and why it's so genius and why it's so beneficial and helpful. And honestly, there's, there's just people out there who can explain it way, way better than I ever could. Like if you want to, to learn more about this, go to the Bible Project people. They do an awesome, awesome job. They got a number of ways to communicate this really clearly. But what we need to understand for now, as we talk here this morning, is that when the Bible tells us to meditate or alludes to us meditating on it, this is where it's coming from. This is the concept that it's working off of. And in fact, it's pretty obvious that it's something God wants us to do, and it has really huge consequence for our lives. I want to read to you just a few passages of Scripture that show just how important, and and, and I think even a clear picture of what it is for us to meditate on God's word as opposed to just read it, take it in one time, and then move on with our life. Like I said, this is sprinkled all throughout scripture, and it continues to reinforce that this is a big deal and something that we should devote our life and time to. In Joshua 1, God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Read it, reread it, go back to it, talk through it with people, think through it. You'll meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. If you do that, it says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good successes. It's like meditating on this every day. Well, as you can continue to try to put it into practice in your life, that's where you're gonna find success, success defined by me. In Psalm 1, it talks about the kind of profile of of a wise person. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in it. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation on God's word helps us be wise people. In Psalm 119, it mentions it a few times. He says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's filled to the brim with your word so that I might not sin against you. He says, I'll meditate on your precepts, fix, your eyes, fix my eyes on your way. If you were to jump to the New Testament, it's different language, but saying the same thing in Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, take root, set up home in you deeply. John 15, again, has another way of saying it, that my words abide in you, live in you. That is not something that can happen through reading alone. That's something that happens when we read, reread, go back to it, wrestle with it, sit in it, and let it change how we think. See, these are just some different ways that God has given us the same command through all kinds of different people, in all kinds of different situations, all throughout different time periods. It says to me that he thinks that's pretty important. <laughs> he says to me, that says to me that this is something that we need to go after. And here's why I think it is so important for us to grasp we don't read anything like that. We don't. We are shaped by our culture. That is not how we approach literature. At least, it's, at least it's not how I approach literature. We read as modern North American people 
We read for clear, concise information transfer. That's why we read something. That's our goal in it, is to have a clear, concise information transfer, clear-cut instructions. We are obsessed with exposition, even though we whine about it all the time when it shows up in movies. We are obsessed with it. We are products of like this Marvel movie uh, style where you can count on one person at some point in the movie popping up and explaining everything that did happen and letting you know exactly where the movie's going. We see that over and over and over again in all kinds of storytelling that is meant for us in our context, in our culture. And where we're happy to get through that, get through that monologue so we can get to the action. That's how we approach so much of the, of the, the story, the narrative that we take in in whatever media that it's in. But the reality is we got to understand that is not how these people wrote this. That's not how these people who wrote scripture, that's not where they were coming from. It can happen. We can get pretty clear-cut instructions, and we should really pay attention when, when those pop up. But that's not how they wrote this. The assumption was that people were sitting in these words, that they were thinking about them, that they were wrestling with them. The more I learn about this, the more I'm like, man, authors of the Bible would be absolutely floored if they saw how we interact with Scripture right now. I, I think they would be, I don't know if they'd be like super judgy or say you're terrible, but I think they would be shocked at the very least. Like, I think that they would have no frame of reference for, for us getting up early, a little earlier in our day, making a nice cup of coffee, like sitting down in our comfy chair with our fuzzy blanket, making sure that we Instagram what we're doing so that everybody knows that we're reading our Bible for the day, you know? We pull out our supercomputer phone and pull up our reading plan. We read through the Bible as fast as we can while constantly being distracted by said Instagram post. And then we close, the, then we close the, the cover of the book and we move on with our day. I think the people who wrote this would have no frame of reference that that's how you interact with scripture. I think it would have blown them away. And while I don't think that this is necessarily wrong, I mean, maybe the Instagram part, but the rest of it, like, I don't know if that's necessarily wrong, but if that's the only way that we interact with scripture, if all we ever do when it comes to the Bible, the words that God has expressly written down for us to benefit from, if our only interaction is to read them and never meditate on them, we are missing something. Absolutely. I feel so confident saying that. We've missed something so significant that is meant to be caught in, in how this was actually written down. If all we're doing is just reading for information or to support our own ideas or to have like really clearly laid out instruction, it becomes really easy for us to miss the values, to miss the underlying foundation and the part that actually changes us actually aligns us to God's kingdom. And I don't think we're the first people to do this. I think actually in Matthew chapter five, we get a really clear example of what happens when we just read scripture versus meditate on scripture. So in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 5, verses 25 to 48, we get a list of uh, what's oftentimes called, you have heard it said, but I say to you, statements. And Jesus had just talked about how he had not come to abolish the law. He had not come to abolish scripture, but he had come to fulfill it. And in fact, he was calling his followers to even a greater degree of righteousness than the people who were following the law to the T. And he gives them kind of a clear picture of like, this is what I expect of people who follow me. This is how you are more righteous than even the Pharisees. This is how you become more and more like me by seeing people and interacting with situations this way. 
And what we also get embedded in these is we get a clear picture of what happens when we only read verses actually meditate on what God says. Let me read you a couple examples here. In Matthew 5, if you looked at verse 21, he says this, you have heard um, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. If you jump down to verse 27, he gives another example. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you jump down again to verse 43, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Okay, so what am I getting at here? This is a perfect example of a group of people, some people who had been following the law perfectly, who knew it front and back, who neglected to meditate on God's word. Instead, they just read it. They got their answer. They got their answer about whether or not they could kill someone, but they missed the underlying value of life. They got their answer about whether they could cheat on their spouse or not, but they missed the underlying value of purity and holiness. They got their answer about how they should treat the people who are good to them, but they missed the underlying value of who actually is our neighbor, whether they like us or not, whether they're good to us or not. See, I think if we're not careful, our culture and context in which we live right now in this time and place in the world is a really good environment to create people who will read God's word and neglect meditating on God's word. Something that is obviously so expected by God will sacrifice that for just a ritual that ends up missing the point. See, I believe that God is calling us to move from this just being a spiritual practice, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But I think he's calling us to something more, something that permeates and takes up our mind and then changes what we do as it, change, as it fills us. Now, the reality is like, this seems kind of overwhelming. I don't know, if you were, when I was first kind of exposed to this, as I've been wrestling with this over the past month or however long I've been working through this, uh, this has felt kind of overwhelming to me. To have this permeating relationship with scripture I don't know if I have a a frame of reference for what that would be like. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I actually do have experience in this, this this concept of like coming back to something over and over and over again that my mind is, is filled with a certain task or a certain situation. I actually do have some experience with this. This kind of meditation happens in my life. It just doesn't always happen with God's word. Let me, let me just share with you an example. Maybe this will kind of help us be able to see it clearly. About a year ago now, it's been a year, which is dumb. It's been a year. We had this uh, pinhole leak in the water line of our refrigerator develop like around last Christmas. And it was just the tiniest little spray of water out the back of our refrigerator. And we didn't notice it for like a month. And so it made its way behind the refrigerator. It made its way under the laminate flooring and it trashed our entire flooring, you know? It, once that gets in there, just everything swelled. I walked through there one day and I was like, ooh, that's very squishy. That's probably not supposed to be like that, right? And so and there was water everywhere. The, the flooring throughout the entire living space of the house had to be replaced. Now we had insurance and that was great. And uh, they came in and they replaced the floor. Now, the, we didn't pick the flooring when we first moved into that house, but now we had the opportunity to, right? 
And I don't know if you've ever had this experience with like home project stuff, but once you change one thing, it feels like this domino effect, right? Where all of a sudden you're like, should the walls actually be that color? Maybe we should paint those, you know? Oh, maybe we should replace that furniture. Oh, maybe we need to redo this. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a like home improvement project kind of guy. I hate it. Like, I was not looking forward to this domino effect that kept happening. I am not the guy who's like, hey, let's refresh our living room every year. I'm more the guy that's like, let's let things literally dissolve in our hands before we ever replace them, all right? That's, that's why I wear the exact same flannel every time I get up here to preach. And it's got so much life left in it. Look at that. You can't even see through it yet, right? Like, that's way more my thing. And so I was not looking for... I was not looking for projects to fill up my time, and I don't find them fun, and I don't find them enjoyable. So I wasn't looking for that, but it started to become pretty clear as we looked at our house that our cabinets, which had a certain look, a certain wood grain finished look, now definitely no longer matched what was going on on the floor. And something needed to change, right? Now, I told you I'm not a projects guy, but I am a super cheap guy. So there's no way that I was going to let somebody, I wasn't going to pay somebody else to come in and redo our cabinets or replace them or whatever. And so uh, pretty quickly, a couple months after this leak started, I started to think through, okay, I'm going to need to redo these cabinets. Um, and I would look things up and then I would let it rest for a while. And then I would be like, oh, I really got to do that. So I'd look some more stuff up. And then I'd go to the hardware store and I'd buy some supplies and bring them back and they'd sit in my garage for months. And then I'd be like, oh, I really should do that. I really should do that. And then I finally got the kick in the pants that I needed to get started on this thing when my daughter came home and had COVID and we were, we were quarantined for a while. And that little while turned into even longer because... It, again, domino effect. Pretty soon, all of us had it, and we were stuck in the house for like over a month, and I decided this is the time, this is the place, this is the moment, I need to get this done. And so I worked through that, and, and about a year after we initially realized like these cabinets need to be changed, the cabinets were actually repainted, reassembled, back in working order. And I would love to tell you like that's where my thoughts of those cabinets stopped. They're still going. Because, uh, again, I don't know if you've experienced this, if somebody else has done something in your house, you don't notice all the imperfections. But when you do something in your house, you're like, you can't not see them. You're like, oh, I really messed that up, or that would have been better, or I definitely should have done this. I was literally dreaming about repainting cabinets. How dumb is that? It filled my mind. It saturated my mind. It pushed me to go back and find out more over and over and over again. If we want to be really honest about it, I was meditating on this cabinet redo. And that is exactly the kind of relationship, I mean, that's such a dumb example, but that's exactly the relationship with Scripture I think God desires for us. That we think about it all the time. That it pushes us back to trying to find out more. That we are talking about it with people. That we are wrestling through what it means for our life. I think this is what God intends for us. And so if this is what God wants for us, this, this constant drawing back to his word, why, why should we take the time to do it? I think it's really important to ask that question. Why is it worth the effort? Because it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing. But why is it worth the effort? See, I have a few things that uh, I think might be helpful for us to encourage us to start practicing this, this concept of, of meditating on Scripture. And I just have three things I want to share real quick. The first one is this. When we meditate on Scripture, meditating on His Word, that constant going back, filling our mind, just soaking it in His words, 
it changes our character. Meditating on God's word is what changes our character. First Timothy 4 says it really clearly. I love, how, I love how he says it. He says, practice these things. He's been talking about some of the characteristics of God, some of the truths of scripture. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your, project, your progress. I have a project on the brain, apparently. Progress. He said, immerse yourself in the words, the character of God, so that all may see your progress. If we want to change, which I think a lot of us in here do, we want to be transformed. We want to look more like Jesus. Why would we be wasting our time in here if that wasn't true? We want to change. If we, if we really want to see that happen in our life, we need to start practicing meditation on God's word, the sitting in, the wrestling with, not just a ritualistic thing we go to from time to time. If we want our lives to be more transformed into the likeness of Jesus, then this is a must. And I think that if we see meditation for what it is, a lifelong journey of discovery, then we will also see our own change and transformation as a lifelong journey. And that's something I think a lot of us as Christians are missing. Uh, One of my biggest pet peeves, and I see it myself too, I'm not coming down on anybody. One of my biggest pet peeves is in our development or in our journey with Jesus, we get to a point where like, well, I just, uh, I've come as far as I can go. Like, that's just, that's just who I am. Like, yeah, I know that Jesus tells me exactly what we just read about, that, that if I'm angry with someone, it's the exact same as murdering them. I know that he says that to me, but like, I'm just kind of an angry person. That's just who I am. So there's really nothing more that we can do from that. I have people in my life who I care about a lot who continuously like make excuses for the people in their lives who really should know better at this point, but have come to this realization in their own mind that I just can't change anymore. It it is what it is. They are who they are and they're never going to change. I think that is just such a pathetic version of the gospel. It's so lame because if Jesus can't bring change into a person's life, then what are we doing here? But I think one of the best ways that we can avoid that pitfall is by seeing scripture through this meditation lens that it is something that until our final breath leaves our body, we will continue to discover new things about who God is, that we will discover new steps of obedience that he has given us, that we will discover new and fuller ways of living into his kingdom while we are alive. If, if that doesn't have an end until our life leaves our body, then we will constantly see new ways that we are able to change in the process. We'll never get stalled out. That's such, a, that's such an encouraging thing to me and something I think that can only come as we meditate on his word. Second thing I think, uh, the, the second reason that I think meditating on God's word is worth the effort is kind of connected to the first. It, it allows us to begin to trust our instincts because we're changing, because we're being transformed. Romans 12, 2, very common passage. You might've heard it before. says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How often have we said, I just wanna know what God wants me to do. I just wanna know what God's will is for my life. Most of that can be found in the words of scripture. Maybe not for your very, very specific situation, but for your overall life goal, that's pretty clearly laid out. God is, I I hate this. Like sometimes we act like this, I do it too, where God's like trying to, he's like being cute about it. He's like trying to hide like what he actually wants for us. No, he's not. It's so clearly there. 
We just have to take the time to sit, to wrestle with, to read and reread, and really be able to uh, see it clearly in what he has written down. The reality is like when a crisis hits, we don't have the luxury of being able to say, hey, would you give me like two hours so that I could go read my Bible, listen to some worship music, and then I'll come back to you and hopefully I'll be able to respond to this crisis situation in the correct way. We don't have the luxury of doing that, but we don't have to if we meditate on God's word, soak our minds and our hearts so that when we act, it actually looks like what Jesus would have us look like. The last thing that I think is, is a really good reason to practice this, this art of meditation on God's word is it's a logical outcome of a loving relationship. If we love God, and I think, I think most of us in here probably would say that's true. If we love God, this is a logical outcome of a loving relationship. I think, I think there's a reason in scripture so often that the church and Jesus get compared as a bride and groom because it's this picture of a human relationship that we can see and, and many of us have experienced. It's an imperfect reflection for sure, but the love we have for our spouse, I mean, it starts to get to the heart of what our relationship would be with Jesus. And when you love someone, you want to be close to them, not just receive information from them. That's a weird relationship. If all you ever do is just transfer information between each other, right? I have an example of this in my own life that I go back to all the time. And I've actually shared this with the students before. So sorry, guys, if you're in the room. But um, when I was in college, my last year in college, uh, Megan is a year older than me. And so she graduated and she went to India for six months. And uh, it was before like FaceTime and internet wasn't great where she was. And we got to talk on the phone every now and then. But we, we kicked it old school and we genuinely like sent letters to each other, all right? And I remember I would get these letters and I would put them in this, uh, in this lunchbox. And it used to be a Spider-Man lunchbox. And I said I upgraded last service and then I got a whole bunch of flack for that. Nothing spiritual, no spiritual comments, but a lot of comments about the Spider-Man uh, uh, lunchbox. So it's not an upgrade, but it's a Star Wars lunchbox now. And... Um, and I also just want to—I also just want to say, like, I get a lot of flack for like, you have no emotions. I just want everyone to know I do. They just all are in this box right here. So if you want to, if you want to, they're in this box, all right. But I kept all of them and I continue to keep them. And um, when I would get one of these letters from Megan, I wouldn't sit down with it and open it up and and read it and say, oh, now I know about what Megan is up to. That was not where the, the, the interaction ended, right? I wasn't like, oh, Megan ate some spicy food, surprise. She went to a leper colony today, she tried on a sari, and she saw a water buffalo. Okay, we're good. Fold it back up, throw it in a drawer, throw it in the garbage can, move on with my life. That's not what I did, right? I cherish these to the point where I still have them, to the point where I looked at them last night when I probably should have been working on this, and I just was reading them, and like the feels were heavy and strong, and it was, I, my affection for her actually grew even all these years later as I sat down and I spent time with these. When we're in a loving relationship, which is what God calls us to, it's way more than just finding out about who he is. It's about cherishing what he shares with us. And he has shared so much about who he is with us. We should not settle for like one quick readover to find a few facts about who he is. We should go back to it over and over and over again. And as we do that, our love for him, I think, will continue to grow. At least that's been my experience. So we've talked about 
what meditation on scripture is. We've talked about why it's worth the time. And as we close today, I just want to give a couple practical uh, ideas about how to get started. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I've experienced that before, but I see the validity. Maybe you're like, I've never really interacted with scripture like that before, and I I see that I kind of need to do that. But how do I get started? Because it can seem kind of overwhelming. I think there's three things that I just want to share real quickly that will help us get started. I would love, I actually even thought about this, I would love to like give you a link on the screen where it's like step one, two, three, four, and five on how to meditate on scripture. But I actually think that's very counterproductive to exactly what we're talking about here. So instead, here's three values that we can put into place in our lives that will help us actually go after what we're talking about here. The first is this, always start with humility, always. When we approach scripture, we have to approach it with an attitude of humility. You can know everything there is to know about this book and still miss the point. That's what the Pharisees did. Proverbs makes it really clear in chapter 11. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. I want to handle God's word with wisdom, which means I need to handle it with humility. I'll be honest with you, that has not always been the case. There's been lots of times where I've handled God's word in disgrace because I was really arrogant about it because I thought I knew. And there are lots and lots of churches and Christian leaders who know a ton but have no humility. There's a couple guys I follow on Instagram and I, I am always, like I've never ceased to amaze how much they know about God's word. They know so much. They're brilliant They're brilliant people, and they're some of the most arrogant people that I've ever seen. And that's all from a distance through social media, I know. But it makes it really hard for me to hear anything that they're saying because of their arrogance. I don't want to make it hard for the people in our lives to hear what we're saying. I don't want to make it hard for myself to hear what God's saying because I'm entering into that relationship full of pride. Second thing we need to do is we always, without exception, need to invite the Holy Spirit into the process. 1 Corinthians 2 makes it really clear. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Considers them foolishness. Can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what God is trying to say. We cannot just bank on our own wisdom, on our own understanding. We need the Spirit to help us see what God is telling us. Otherwise, it will be foolishness over and over and over again. The last thing is this. If you're kind of wondering, okay, then how do I get started here with humility, with the Holy Spirit? This is just a practical thing that's not from the Bible. It's just something worth giving a try. I would say start structured, but don't get into a rut. Because I think what ends up happening when we hear something like this, this uh, all-encompassing, like, full-life kind of pursuit, I think what can happen is we either get so overwhelmed that we don't even want to start, or we do, like, the, like the New Year's resolution thing, where we're like, I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible a day, and then, like, two days later, we're surprised that that didn't happen, you know? I think we either do that, and then we, we lose momentum, and we don't even try, or... We find something that works, but we never, ever leave that rut, and it becomes exactly what it became for the Pharisees, just this ritual that has no power and that doesn't change us. So if you find yourself in that first category, good news, there are about a billion ways to step into this mindset. If you have a smartphone, you have the YouVersion app, and on that app, there are about a gazillion reading plans. Pick one. Like, just pick one that works for you. 
and get started. If it's not working, change it. Do it a different way. There's all kinds of methods to get us started on this road. Do a devotional book if that's what you need. Like do whatever you need to do to step into God's word with this mindset, not of just reading to confirm what you already think or to find the right answer, but to know God's heart. And if you find yourself in the other camp where you're like, listen, I've been doing the exact same reading plan for 40 years and I've read the exact same way for 40 years, I would encourage us, man, mix it up. Try something new. Because I, I absolutely believe that God always has something new that he's trying to communicate to us. And if our method is what's holding us back from that, man, let's lose it. I'm becoming more and more convinced in my own life, and I'll just say this for me, that much of my relationship with scripture has kind of been built on a shaky foundation. Because I've used it for my own wants to confirm my own bias. I've treated it as a textbook, only looking for answers. I've oftentimes removed the spirit from my interactions with scripture. And it's something that I have checked into and then checked out of rather than let permeate my whole life. And I'll just be really honest. I don't know if that's you or not, but I'll be really honest. I think the days of getting away with that are on their way out. Maybe they never existed. I think God is calling his church to be a people who don't just read his word, but meditate on it go back to it, sit in it, wrestle with it, and then let its truth change our lives. I think when we do that, we will be far more effective as neighbors and friends and family members and ambassadors of the gospel and groups of people in our community that actually will facilitate real change in the world. But it starts here. It starts with us. Really good news, it's a pretty simple first step to step into. A lifelong pursuit, but a pretty simple step to step into. One that we can do right here, right now, today. And I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I'd like to pray for us and uh, I'd invite the team up while I'm praying, the prayer team to come on up to the front. And if you are here today and you would like to be prayed for, you need to talk through something with someone, those people would be absolutely uh, pleased to, to talk through that with you this morning. We'd encourage you to come forward. Let me pray. And then we will wrap up for this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for revealing so much about who you are. God, uh, it's, it's almost overwhelming, but I'm really, really grateful that the reality is that you are everything that we need. And you've given us everything we need to be able to live for you. You've given us your words clearly written down. You've given us your spirit. You've given us a purpose. You've showed us who we are. God, I just prayed we would believe you. That we would work for our relationship with you to be rooted in this constant reliance on you, God. This going back to your words and to your truth and letting them transform who we are and how we think and what we do. God, I pray that as we kind of think through what step do you want us to take today to make meditating on scripture a, a value and a practice in our life, Lord, I pray you give us courage, Lord, that you wouldn't let us get away with the whole, we made a commitment in here and then we leave and then we get busy with life, we don't even think about it again. God, I just pray your spirit would continuously press in on us, remind us that this is actually what we need and encourage us to step into it. God, we love you. We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for all that you've done and are going to do. 
In your awesome and incredible name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. 